and welcome to the Growing Happy Families podcast, where we aim to help you clarify your goals for your family, understand what makes your family members tick, and work out what helps you to get along better. This podcast is in no way an expert directive on how you should be parenting your children. After all, you are the experts on your family. But it is my sincere hope that you might hear something that helps you feel supported and understood as you go about the business of raising your next generation. My name is Kim Leone, and I'm here today talking with my lovely co-host and pal, Mari Perks. Morning, Kim. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm glad it's Friday. The sun is shining. It's blue sky outside. It's very, very pretty. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Good. Yes, me too. Yes. Not that I'm going anywhere, you understand, because it is locked down and I'm still at home. But, you know. Do they? That's bad planning. (laughs) (laughs) But the sun is shining. It's it's, um, it's a kind of day that kind of belies what's going on at the moment isn't it yeah and and I just wondered today whether you could maybe pick up on something that I think does impact on families because we haven't actually got children in our house Mm. but I've noticed personally now and I've picked up in the papers like me that people are turning off the news or not reading newspapers and not wanting to know there is so much tragedy and sadness and we've passed a landmark, very, very sadly, of 100,000 COVID deaths. But I mm. just feel overwhelmed by it. And I, I can't encompass that level of information and sadness. And mm. I know that you do a lot of work with families. I wonder if you've got any reflections on that. That's, yeah, that's a really good a really good sort of observation, actually. I think one of the things that I've noticed from a personal perspective, first of all, the news is all about those large figures. And, you know, and it is tragic, as you say, it's absolutely tragic. But I noticed that there's a lot of stuff going out on the news early on when the kids are around. And as you all know, having had children who you've raised to adulthood, they do pick up on stuff. And, you know, long distance hearing, obviously selective and especially when it involves things that are good, like ice cream, can be heard from many miles away. But also, not so good stuff does get heard. And sometimes we forget that little ears are turned on and maybe picking up stuff that they probably don't need to know about. I'm not saying that we should be dishonest, but I do think that we should be filters and you know, kind of like a sieve takes out the big lumps of stuff when we're trying to get some to the fine stuff. We could be doing that with what our children are hearing and seeing on on television. And that's not because I don't think it's being prudish or, you know, or worrying overly that they're, they're delicate, but they are delicate. They're vulnerable and they don't understand all the things that they hear. They just hear it and then have to try and make sense of it and I think it provokes anxiety when they hear about death a lot and yes it's happening I absolutely my heart is broken for the people with small people they they don't understand and they can't they can't get their heads around it 
So I think we have to we have to look at that. How does that affect them? Maybe it perfects their behaviour. Maybe you notice them being a bit more anxious about you know, when you need to go and leave them, for instance, or when they have to go to bed and they're a bit worried about, please don't turn the light off or stuff like that. It will come out, but you might not twig it. Oh, it's because I saw that news item today about, mm. you know, when the person was standing in, in, the, in the funeral directors or the morgue or in hospital with all the people with the masks and the, you know, all the equipment on. So we have to kind of, Maybe just pay attention to what they're seeing. We talk about screen time and limiting screen time. And I think that applies to the content of the screen time as well. So it's not just, well, you can have two hours of telly from four till six. Oh, well, you know, the news is on at six. Maybe turn it off before the news. We can find the news later. We can do news at nine or ten or whenever. Or we can look at it on the the interwebs. Mm. But I think... Anything that promotes for kids, they need a bit of solidarity. They need kind of routine. They need certainty. And Mm. certainty will allay fear. It will calm anxiety because they can sort of see where their their, um, sphere of safety is and their their sphere of control. I don't know. That sounds quite preachy, actually. I think think maybe picking it apart a tiny bit and I do know from my own work and from talking with colleagues that children uh, people have a misconception about children that they're very resilient they bounce back is something I'm still hearing in spite of thinking it was a crass thing when I was a child it's still not helpful but also that bit about children having magical thinking so if they hear a phrase or see something or pick up on something even if they only get a snippet of it if they've got creative minds which a huge number of children do they'll just create a narrative around that and make it something like the boogeyman under the bed i wonder carrying on from what you're saying what adults can learn that would be helpful Big question, really big question. I think as parents, talking to them as much as they need to know, you know, relevant to their age, obviously, and what they can understand or what we assume they can understand, but also, you know, letting them ask questions if they have fears and you can see that they've got fears rather than just saying, oh, don't worry, it's fine, because they know it's not fine. They hear it, you know, it's, it's on the news, we talk to our friends, we're on the phone, we chat about it with everybody else. And we sometimes forget that those little ears are turned on. And, and as you say, they make things up, not because they're being, you know, mad, naughty or bad. It's because they have got creative minds and what they crave is certainty. And they need a story so that they know where they are in the world and where they are in their lives. So, yeah, so they will make stories up about what that means, what that phrase that they heard meant. And quite often it will be a bit scary. Mm. Do you think children are very literal? I think the specific, specifics of it are probably caused by the lack of, you know, their lack of experience. They don't know. So if they, for instance, one thing that um, I've kind of come up, up against 
with my small children was when we took the cat to the vet and the cat had to be put to sleep. Yeah, we used that phrase because that was what you said in those days. And then we had children who could not go to sleep at night for some time because they were scared that they would not wake up. And so, and that might be something that happens here. If we use euphemisms for things, Mm. you know, um, it can, yes, they will be literal because that's all they know. You just said put to sleep. And when I go to sleep, that's it. You know, Mm. your eyes close and you, you kind of miss a bit. And then you wake up sometime later. Or do you? You know, there's always that part that's going to go, oh, will I? I have done a lot of work around bereavement. Whatever euphemism the other person is using, I will always reflect back, dead and died. Just saying Sue actually meant that the the cat died because it had, it was very poorly, so it had to have an injection. Um, But I do, so it is the adult's almost responsibility yeah in a sense to be very accurate with language yeah I think so yeah it's hard isn't it because it's a challenge to us too we're not used to talking about things like death anyway it's not something that we're comfortable with and it's not something we have a lot of experience with personally generally um so it's it's a hard thing to talk about and it's a harder thing to talk about with children because you kind of don't know where to pitch it you know what level to use when you're when you've got small people and what what can they take in or what's going to and and sometimes we perhaps because we're frightened of death a bit we assume that they will be too so it is hard to find the way but it's finding a way that that opens up the conversation really I think rather than shuts it down not that you've got to sit there and go into minute detail but just that you've got to allow the children to ask the questions that help them have an understanding. I do think that bit is key, that we can give the basic information, but leave that door wide open and say, if you want to ask any questions at any time, because you'll have probably greater insight than I do into developmental stages in children, but there's there is an age at which they start to understand the permanence yeah. of death or or the permanence of an injury or mm. um, a life-changing condition. Sure. Um, so for me, it is, an, it is so important that we do that little bit of information, but it's an ongoing conversation. What Absolutely. Do you think? I, I do agree. I think it's like, you know, it's like... Um, when, when you eat a massive, you know, one of those big giant cookies that you can get from the shop, you don't eat it all in one mouthful. You have to nibble away at the edges. And I think for children, understanding is nibbling. You know, they don't, you can't give I them a whole that. lesson. <laughs> that's, that that whole is lesson such, one go. Such, I'm going to steal that if that's okay. You may steal it. Nibbling. You may steal it indeed. But I think that expresses it so well. I mean, I was thinking about teenage boys that I've known in the past who would probably try to eat that cookie in one go but actually then interestingly then they can't actually swallow it and they can't can't speak they can't (laughs) chew so it gets that's such a good analogy gets stuck yeah so what we've got to do 
actually is let them have a nibble so they can ask us a question. And if we answer them in age appropriate language, but as clearly as we can, they can choose when they've had enough of that swallow and come back for more. And it might be tomorrow or it might not be for six months or a year, depending mm. on what they, you know, what they need and what comes up for them. Mm. But it allows them to then not think that their fears are silly because, you know, sometimes we go, oh, don't worry, don't be silly. It's fine. Mm. We're trying to allay their fears but they will still be, you know, it will be whittling around in their head and they'll just, it's a thing, isn't it? You've got to join the dots. I've got all these dots in my head mm. that little bits of information and they're all pinging about. It's banging around. Yeah. So I noticed earlier that, and I think this is really interesting because you're starting to maybe just step into it, that thing around when the anxiety can start and mm. the impact and I don't get a big question and then where do we go with it if we don't pick up on it until our child is showing symptoms, if you like, of anxiety? And then that's a really good question because we then have to pick up on it. it. It's kind of how do we notice what's going on? And I think the big things that we have to notice is changes in behaviour. Maybe they're clingier than normal. Maybe they decide suddenly when they've always been fine with having the light turned off at bedtime that they want the light leaving on or maybe they have to get up and ask for a drink every 10 seconds or you know they can't settle or maybe they don't want to watch telly or they do want to watch telly or don't like you going out if it did you are allowed out those kind of things it's just noticing a difference in how your child behaves and then of course very small children probably can't even really put into words what is causing their anxiety so that's going to be a real conundrum. But again, it's about talking, you know, asking questions, not necessarily telling them it will be OK, but, you know, asking, well, you, it sounds like you feel a bit unsettled or, you know, you're very fidgety. What's going on? Those kind of questions to give them a chance to try to unpick and put into words what they're feeling, which isn't going to be easy. But you you can try and empathise and understand you know what it's like to be them at the moment because it's not easy it's not easy for us grown-ups is it is, is it okay then on. to to say to a child do you know what mummy's feeling a bit discombobulated funny tummy a little bit anxious as well so mm. I wonder what we can do I think that's one way of dealing with it absolutely they have to know that it's not only them that feels this way. Although the other side of that, and I was thinking about this earlier on, you know, um, you were saying about the, the big landmark number of 100,000 COVID deaths, mm. and, and, which is really sad, but we cannot get swept away into that distraught sort of distraught place that, that if we think about that, we will get mm. kind of pulled into perhaps because then we will be swirling around in the same place that perhaps if the children have heard all that, that sort of information, they might be in there too. So we can't jump in the swimming pool with them and be swirling around in that scary place. We've somehow got to be on the edge of the swimming pool mm. and holding out a hand or throwing them a, you know, a rubber ring so they can stay afloat and pulling them to mm. the edge so they can get out. 
We've got to show them the way, though. Mm. We can't talk them through the way. They've got to no. So we do have to model behaviours. Yeah. I was quite interested when you talked about the swimming pool, because that's a great mm. analogy for empathy and sympathy, isn't it? That yes, yes, being exactly. Being sympathetic is jumping in the pool and getting in the same mess, and yes. empathy is being on the side and putting your hand in the water and leaning in, but being in a strong place to to kind of help yeah. pull out. Yeah. But I like the idea of modelling as well, how we negotiate difficult times, not just this time that we're living through, but any challenges that families make. So, and I'm going to ask you a difficult question now. Have you any kind of you know, hints and tips, any kind of ideas of how parents do that modelling? I think the things that we can model are how to be calm, which is a challenge sometimes because we don't feel calm ourselves. So it's how do we find ways of being calm ourselves that the children can follow and adopt? Because one of the things that we know about children is that the way they learn is to copy from a very young age. You know, when you had that little new baby and you stuck your tongue out and they stick it out, their tongue out, you know, and that's how they start learning. We go ba ba ba, they do it too. So if we remember that, children like to copy and we can show them rather than tell them how to do things, then it's it's really great. Mm. It, it, it's much more easy. So we can just, even by sitting on the sofa and going, you know, and having a big sigh and just letting go and visibly relaxing, you know, the children can see that's how, oh, that's how we do that. Let's have a go. And we can all sit there and make it a game. Wow. Ooh, we wow. could have a big sigh, you know, or we could go for a walk and say who can do, because, you know, one of the other things that, that anxiety provokes is the fight flight reflex. And when you've got the adrenaline rushing around your system, you need to do some movement to get rid of that and to ease that off. If we do walking around the garden or walking up and down the street, that's going to help us. It's going to help the kids. So it's little things. We don't have to know complicated big stuff. It's how do we calm down? Let's have a you know a sit down and a drink. Let's read a story. What's really interesting for me there, Kim, and and we were talking before we actually started recording, is that in a sense, if we as adults look to self care and and learning what is helpful for us, yes. Yes. Then we then we have something to model. Absolutely. Don't we? It's so important. And then that, as we were saying, I think we've said in a couple of previous podcasts, you know, we we put ourselves at the back of the queue often when we're parents or carers of other people and helpers and workers and whatnot. And it is absolutely essential that we address our our self-care first and foremost. It's not selfish, it's how we survive mm. in order to help other people. Mm. it really is important mm. so thank yeah thank you for re you know re-emphasizing that point well I think because you've given that kind of cue about what we do and say is modeling mm. how our children learn to respond to situations good or bad yeah 
Yeah. And if we are running around, I, sh I should get royalties from whoever wrote Chicken Licken. Um, you know, if we're <laughs> running around like Chicken Licken, thinking the sky's yeah, going to fall around. Then that's what our children will, will learn. They will pick that up, absolutely. Whereas if we notice and share appropriate with our children that there is something that yeah. we're dealing with, however, that we're responding to it, we're doing as much to manage and control the bits that we can and it's and the bits that we can is important isn't it what we can control we're managing yes and then that we can model and in any situation it's a good idea to have ways to unwind or relax and so many good ideas I mean in my head you know lots of things came out of that <laughs> um, sadly we're drawing to a close again in a sense I feel like I've summarised for you but is there a, some summary of that a kind of message? Um, I think the biggest bit that I would be really pleased if, if people had taken away would be the idea that we are the model for our children to learn from and and so it is important for us to learn how to self-care and to, you know, to prioritise self-care. It isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. And if we are not only to survive, but to thrive, we need to be in tip-top condition. We take the car to the garage to be serviced, to keep it running. We owe that to ourselves. I love that. So in order to thrive, not just survive. Yeah. That's a wonderful phrase to end with I think and to encourage everybody um, I hope so that, mm. that this is doable and doable. We're, we're all in it together in a sense yeah it's not and necessarily easy no but it's you know it's doable and I think uh, I think we can all do it to a degree and maybe we can you know with some help from other places perhaps we can do it even more than that and I think with practice yeah. as well, the more yeah. we do, the more we can do. Absolutely. That is wonderful. Some, some really good stuff this Thank morning. You. Thank you, Kim. Uh, That's really helpful. And, and I'm making notes and taking some stuff away for us as well. <laughs> Thanks, Mari. Thank you. See, see you, you later. next time. Yeah, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, so that's it today. Thanks for listening. We hope it's given you some thoughts and ideas to help you growing your happy family. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks to Mari for co-hosting. Mari's got a podcast as well called Intentional Conversations about counselling and therapy. And thank you to Mick Parks for the musical contributions that are on here too. If you'd like to know more about the ways we could work together or you'd like to give us feedback about the podcast or suggestions for uh, future episodes please go to our um, website at heartfeltthinking.com and my name is Kim Leone and this has been the Growing Happy Families podcast where we aim to help you clarify your goals for your family understand what makes your family members tick and work out what helps you to get along better see you soon